they always come in and say, hey, I need to make this really well. I need to make it like an Apple. I need to make it like an Uber. You never make anything like anything. You always make it the way your users will love it. And uh, and and that's always unique. And innovation always happens when you're chasing your user, not chasing your competition. Welcome to the Business Ownership Podcast, brought to you by Awareness Strategies, helping you navigate the waters between entrepreneurship and ownership. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I am super glad that you're here with us today because I am here with my most amazing guest, Satyam. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me, Michelle. Awesome. So let everybody know who you are and what you love to do. <laughs> uh, who am I? I, I uh, I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a business owner in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh it's been uh, an interesting seven years, or actually eight years now, uh, as an entrepreneur. Uh, so overall, yeah, love uh, love talking about technology, uh, design, business, uh, hiking in uh, high altitude. So a few things. Uh, so yeah, that's who I am. Fun. Before we get into everything, and I will circle back. Any interesting high altitude trips coming up? Uh, I'm really hoping I can uh, prioritize the Everest Base Camp, uh, and uh, that's one of the things. And that's it. I mean, it's it's <laughs> it is high altitude, but it's it is a VIP trek uh, for those of you who don't know. But again, it is still the the world's la, uh, tallest mountain. So I'm not going to be doing a mountaineering part, but I'd I'd love to do the 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 trek to the base camp. Uh, and uh, the last one I did was 2017, where I did another trek in the Himalayas, but that was a 15 and a half thousand feet summit, uh, and the uh, base camp is 18 and 18,000 something. So it's kind of much, much different. <laughs> awesome. Well, and I think they're all much, much different, um, but we can have this conversation another time. Let's talk about business and what you do. So you have some pretty funky, is it software that you use or is what's the business model? Let's start with that. Uh, so we actually are, uh, in the, the basic sense, we are a professional services firm. Mm -hmm. uh, and over the last two decades, we have built uh, deep expertise and uh, understanding how to build good and uh, effective software. Uh, and uh, you do that with understanding and listening to customers. So we actually are a services firm that has deep, uh, builds deep user research, takes that, builds prototypes, tests it with users. Uh, in a way that we help our customers to kind of first unlock a lot of business value. And second is like really to risk mitigate a lot of their business decisions. Uh, so that's who we are. We we are in the heart of the Silicon Valley, working with a lot of the companies here in the Valley. So uh, now that we have done eight years uh, in doing this, uh, we have seen it all. Uh, we've seen all domains, all uh, elements. We specialize in complex software systems. Uh, when most of the agencies love working on the cool, nice looking, you know, funky thing, uh, we really focus on the internals of a lot of the systems that companies are built on. Uh, and uh, and that's what we've been doing. Com we have worked with companies with who come to us for with the back of napkin idea. And we have taken them uh, and worked with them in a way that they sold themselves for nine figures in five years. We've also worked with companies that have come to us with an early stage uh, product and then helped them build an experience backbone where the customers love them uh, from, from the experiences they build uh, to going to about, you know, three to $4 billion in valuation. I love that. Well, I personally hope that you get to work with Microsoft because some of the changes they make drive me nuts. 
Microsoft has got obviously the the classical uh, you know innovators dilemma. What do you do with existing users while you're innovating for others? But I think there there are ways to do it. Uh, it's just that when you have a cash cow, it's very hard for people to kind of prioritize and innovate. Right. So I, I love the idea of, of the UXO and the user experience. What what is one of the biggest mistakes you see companies making when they come to you? Like what are I they the, all doing wrong? <laughs> I think most of them, I would nine out of 10 companies that come to us that are doing things wrong. The fundamental aspect is that they are, they think it's a people problem. Uh, and uh, they think that I'm going to hire five people. I'm going to hire an firm I'm, and it's going to magically make that work. It's actually not, it never is. Uh, it's actually, uh, it, you know, you may have to change people, of course, but it's actually a mindset problem. Uh, it's a mindset that says that, you know, hey, when, when everyone says I'm customer centric, you really ask them like, hey, are you making every decision in the company based on your customer? Does your every person in their company even know who your customer is, what their top five pain points are? And that's when I say it's a mindset problem. It's not. And uh, and that foundationally is a is a thing that kind of cascades into the right people, the right process, the right environment. Uh, and uh and they always come in and say, hey, I need to make this really well. I need to make it like an Apple. I need to make it like an Uber. You never make anything like anything. You always make it the way your users will love it. And uh, and and that's always unique. And innovation always happens when you're chasing your user, not chasing your competition. Uh, so a lot of those things is what they make mistakes in. And then we are always helping them coach them, which is why I wrote the book. I said, you know, I really am coaching a lot of the people in the first you know, few months of our engagement. I don't want to do that because there are people who already have realized that. Uh, and uh, with the book, I'm kind of putting it out there. And then the companies that realize that they see the pain, they understand the issue, and now they want to fix it. Uh, that's when they come to us and we'll help them do that. I love it. So do they usually find out once they've gone public with their idea? Or is it while they're still in the development stages that they're starting to notice, hey, things aren't going the way we wanted them to? I think it's all across, right? We have had companies which have come to us and said, our customers are just not adopting it and our, our competition is taking over. Uh, so, that, And then they come to us by saying, our competition is doing all these things, so let's do all these things. I'm like, no, no, don't ever do that, right? Uh, and then the next thing is we also get companies which are like genuinely are enlightened leaders who have seen it, who are maybe second or third term uh, time, uh, you know, they have seen the scars of not doing it right, and they want to do it right. And then they come to us and say, okay, we are, you know, we are, we, we want to approach it day one from who the user is. In fact, just today morning, I was working with uh, an, an, uh, an, an, a meeting where we are, we are even talking to the team and saying, what should your requirements be? What should you build based on the user research? And not on the other side of like, you know, hey, I'm going to build this. Can you go test it if this works? Uh, so it's again, it's a, it's an element of those, but most times they realize it when their customers are rejecting it. They're re realizing it when their adoption is not there. They realize it when their churn is increasing, uh, satisfaction is low. Uh, all these things are symptoms of a bad experience and uh, you can then start fixing it. But most times they think of it as, oh, okay, I'm going to buy this. I'm going to integrate with that. And then again, doesn't work. They waste a lot of time. Right. Well, and I... I found myself in programming that a lot of the programmers wrote for themselves. So they did what they wanted to have done. It's like, dude, do you have any idea how much more confident you are in software than the person that's going to be using this? <laughs> like, uh, it's, it's like night and day. <laughs> it's it's fascinating. I, I say the story, I also write this in the book, uh, where uh, I, I was in grad school studying human-computer interaction. 
And then I went to my professor after a class and I said, professor, isn't this like common sense? And he said, absolutely, this is common sense. But what is common sense for you is different from what's common sense for a four-year-old is what's common sense for an 80-year-old sitting in some other country. And that's what we study. We study common sense. And I was like, that stayed with me. And I'm like, that's what I tell everyone. Like, we study common sense. Once it makes sense, it, everybody says, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. But studying that is what is the profession of a good user researcher. Well, yeah, and I often compare software to, to um, civil engineering and roads because I find that the people that put the signs up have never driven down that road before. And Absolutely. it's like, okay, dude, why are you putting that sign behind the turn? It, like, it doesn't make any sense. And the same thing often happens in software. So it's actually very interesting, Michelle, that you bring that up. And uh the reason, and also I think what's happening today in today's environment is also aggravating that. See, when you have designers or engineers or product managers sitting remotely, sitting across the globe, so you will now have people sitting in Eastern Europe or in Asia and, and, and looking at designing a product for a healthcare person in America or a healthcare person in America designing for Sub-Saharan Africa doesn't work that way. You really have to immerse yourself. You have to feel the empathy the same way as you know how it will use it. And that's the problem. Like if you haven't driven it, you if you, if you haven't driven the car, you're not seeing the things, you'll not be able to sign, put signage on it. So And that's why it's a much more of a systemic problem that you have to think about it as a system. How does how do we increase everyone's empathy? Uh, and today, it's actually much more issue. Uh, like You literally have farms of engineers, smart engineers sitting at anywhere in the world, getting a requirement and designing the requirement without even understanding what will that actually impact. And they're not even able to ask the why question. So you're taking smart people and making them dumb you know, uh, production people. And again, that's, and therefore, if you don't make a millions of dollars, don't convert into great innovation, that's exactly what will happen. Well, and it has to be worse now that there's a lot of modular programming, right? So if I'm, if I'm just in charge of my module, I don't have a clue how it interacts with anybody else's or what the long-term game is. Absolutely. And so that's, <laughs> so that's the reason why we say we are we, we think as a design firm we say we think of the system before the design uh, and so we actually create system workflow system uh, architectures on an experience level just for that same reason because we need to understand that reporting system because think about a typical large company there's a product manager for reporting there's a product manager for customer service product manager for uh, the home page they are not thinking about the experience, how it plays out. The end user always comes to us and says, I have no fucking idea why these people, and pardon my ignorance, I have no <laughs> idea why you're giving me all these things. Just give me one simple experience. When I go to this, the customer service, I get some, some other experience. I go to the dashboard, I go to different experience. Just because no one actually has brought it up on a system level and brought all these product managers together and said, what is the experience we're going to drive and what is the architecture of that experience? Because there's, they don't understand how to drive that. And that's those are the things that we've been pioneering. And that's the reason why we also founded UX Reactor. I love it. So do you find that there's any differences with businesses that are developing software for that's consumer-facing versus business-facing? Not really. In fact, uh, a lot of people that are designing for business-facing think that they can take the user for granted. That's the unfortunate nature, but all of them are users. They have a need, they have an intent, they have a goal, uh, and we need to give it to them in a way that they are happy and, and effective. Uh, if we say, and this is the B2B thing that I see a lot in the company world, is like, oh, we can train them. 
or they will understand this. I'm like, no, don't ever do that. I mean, remember how much money is wasted on training. Remember how much money you will have on errors. And that is what is not acceptable, especially in the world now we are in, which is all SaaS, where the competition is one click away, right? And I think so the answer is yes, B2C. They have been very, very you know, uh, effective in working with the customer or, or thinking about the customer. But then B2B has at this point has to kind of pull up its socks and kind of really go and play the game. Nice. I love that. And understanding that at the end of the day, it's still a person at the other end Absolutely. trying to figure that out. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. So when um, I had an idea in my brain and it just went poof because I was totally listening to you. <laughs> it's a, one of the disadvantages to be totally immersed in the conversation and to be thinking about I'm the sure next question. I'm sure it'll come back. Come. It's all good. <laughs> all good. So, well, let's start with, give us an example of a Cinderella story of one of your clients. So I can give you a story of a client. And again, uh, I don't know if it's a Cinderella story, but it's, it's a very effective story. Uh, this company was founded by the first CIO of Tesla. So uh, Tesla, if you look at how well their experience is orchestrated, it's because they own their ecosystem. They are the manufacturer. They own the dealership. They own the customer data. Uh, they have all elements, so they can orchestrate a great experience. So think of a world where you know you're driving, uh, and suddenly the car knows what an issue is. It'll tell you that the the local dealership is uh, you know, and you're doing a cross country trip, and the local dealership is you know 50 miles away, and the, you already informed the dealership that this part needs to be ready. Everything is set up because you own an ecosystem. So the first CIO of Tesla, a gentleman named Jay Vijayan, decided after he finished. Uh, uh, I think the Model S launch and 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 the whole system was put up to uh, put together so that he wants to found a company. Uh, for 15 months, they worked on they worked with trying to build their in-house team. They worked at uh, trying to get their uh, you know work with different uh, firms, and then uh, serendipitously we were introduced to them uh, to kind of go help their build their experience. Now again, remember these this is a person who has all his Rolodex uh, and so on. Uh, we ended up working with them for two and a half years, their organization for two and a half years. We worked on every aspect of their system design, looking at every element of their experience, uh, building the whole design system, doing the user research and talking and spending the time in the dealerships. Uh, all that stuff eventually paid out. Uh, now, fast forward five years uh, of their existence, they were valued at three and a half billion dollars. Uh, and... Uh, and unfortunately, we are a shareholder in the company. And then, you know, but a lot of the backbone of the experience. Now, what is interesting from a business setting is their biggest competitor just got when that they were looking at when we initially were or the, the biggest competitor when they're starting out actually uh, has just gone, has been taken public, uh, sorry, private. And uh, the CEO has been adjust. So that's the impact that when you have good design working with you and uh, and and you've kind of building. And the most recent analyst article is that when you think of a system experience uh, and uh, you build everything together and we eventually help them also build out their design group. So today they are self-sustaining, standalone. We are shareholders. So we are actually very, you know, sharing them. Uh, and that's what I think is a, is a story. But this is a story that I think we apply with every engagement. In this case, they were small enough that we could make the shifts. We could make the adjustments. It's an experimental process. You have to fix and adjust for each organization. And uh, two and a half years, we we really you know did a lot of good stuff. Nice. I love that. And my question came back. So if a company is just starting out and they're the CEO is go, or the entrepreneur, if you will, goes, hey, there's a need for this. I think there's a need for this. 
so they go and they build the software, but they don't have any clientele yet. How do you get that user experience data of what they're looking for when you know nobody's bought it yet? <laughs> so I'll, I'll give you two stories there. Uh, the first story is we've, we've worked with so many clients who have said, uh, this is what I'm building for this user and say, okay, fine. You built it. Let's go find that user and show it to them or engage with them or talk to them. We are not able to find them. And then most times we are not able to find them is because in their mind, they think that there is a user who uses it. But then it's actually, again, if you're designing, like I'll give you another, the, 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 the second story. Uh, I was designing in that the first year of my career as a designer, I was designing a breast biopsy uh, instrument uh, and uh, assumed that the doctor is pressing all the numbers and everything else only to realize that doctors not who is pressing all those gadgets, they are so focused on that patient and trying to put that huge ass needle into uh, and, and into the tissue and then extract it, that they are actually telling the command to the person. The technician is the one who's now pressing those numbers. And then in that huge sound, that means the technician has to listen to like, I mean, increase, decrease. So it's a huge human factors problem. It's not that the doctor themselves is trying this out because they're focused on one thing. These are the subtleties that goes into it. So again, you designed it for the wrong user. Uh, and uh, and in the context was very different. Uh, yeah, in a, in a, in a, in a very uh, sane, you know, noiseless environment, yeah, I can say increase by two, that, that person can hear it. But in a noisy environment, increase by two is not as simple. So these are the subtleties that go into it. A lot of companies that work with us, when they come to us with a product that they say that we have not spoken to any user, it's either there's no user that exists or they don't know how to find the user. And that how to find the user is also an issue. And we effectively are able to mitigate it. But what, what I say is like, why build a product and invest the engineering and everything when you actually can test it out with you know, smoking mirror prototypes? And you know the cost of experimentation with prototypes is so low that you can test five of them at the cost of you know, building one of them. And uh, and then you kind of pick the best of it and then go figure out. And that's the process of iteration. And most founders basically, again, have this syndrome that their users don't know what they want. I'm going to wow them. And when I wow them, or if I put it in the market, then competition will know. The answer is no. I mean, if you are following the user, you competition will never be able to catch up with you. Right. Well, that It totally reminds me of... <laughs> of people who want to design software that looks good. So they make it all clickable and mouse user. And meanwhile, if somebody's not, um, doesn't have the time to be able to look around and find things, which is a very slow human process, whereas to hear it and then to know what the shortcut keys are is much faster. It's Absolutely. not as pretty, but if you need that speed, <laughs> then you're, you're creating a system that's bound to fail because, because it's pretty. Absolutely. And that's the reason why when you put a system thinking mindset to it, you have to build multiple systems. Like in NASA actually says there, there should be three, two rounds of redundancy, right? That's what any spaceship has. Same software wise, you need to have two rounds of redundancy. One is if you do it with uh, a mouse and click or a touch, or you need to be able to do it with commands, or you should be doing some level. That is when you build a robust system that actually works for different contexts, different users. Exactly. A uh, uh, a heavy uh, user who's been using it for you know 10, 15 years 
is going to have a different experience than somebody who's coming as a novice this year, right? A, a day, day zero experience will should be very different from day 99 experience. That's why the context and then the who the user is actually changes everything. And that is what you need to define experiences for and design them. Otherwise, you're actually always designing one size fits all. The other mistake, actually, Michelle, since you asked me uh, in, in the beginning, yeah. is they, they build a product for everyone. Like every customer that asks them everything, they put that in every... And I'm like, so that shows bad leadership to me in a lot of ways because they are not able to say no and 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 build convergence because if you're building for everybody you're building for nobody and then and that just is a big issue this is also where i see the big sales force or whatever which is why the disruption is coming from companies that are building niche products uh and uh and sales forces like we do everything for everyone service now says we do everyone for everyone and i think that that is only as effective that's why you have all these armies of system integrators that make business off them to help the customers navigate that nice absolutely couldn't agree more so what are some of the stumbling blocks that an entrepreneur might be having right now and they're thinking oh my god sitjam i need you so badly i think the stumbling block is do you know who your user is uh if you know who your user is what the top pain points are and you have experiments around that i think you're doing a good job you're already way ahead than you know 70% of the people if you're not then i think you need to start figuring out like why and why am i doing that right and you should be running i mean this is a world of like cost of experimentation is close to zero uh run as many experiments test as many products test as many prototypes uh and i think the factor is how do you do that again knowing your customer no and also not knowing your user right knowing your ecosystem of users that's other thing when i say from a system thinking perspective because if you don't it's not if you're designing for a patient but the patient also has a caregiver and you're also designing for the doctor but you're also looking at the assistant next to them when you together look at the healthcare ecosystem they're like there's a few or more and what you are and identify how you are different from everyone else and how you're making that effective because you attach to one of them you are attached to the system and you then you own the system and you own it all uh, and i think those are the subtleties any entrepreneur who actually is looking at building any digital product or any system that has that interacts with users uh do you know your users do you know what their pain points are do you know what their journey is do you know why you differentiate from everyone else are you running experiments if you don't have answers for this then you need someone like us or you need the skills of that we apply awesome and those are great business questions in general regardless of what you're doing whether it's software or not that's perfect so i know our listeners are going to want more from you how did they start their journey with you how did they start a journey with us uh <laughs> uh you know just reach out i mean we have a uh, we have a website they can reach out to they can reach out to me at hello at uxreactor.com they can reach out to me on linkedin uh if they want to know more about our philosophy there's a book that we just wrote out uh, which came out a couple of months back uh it's somewhere available on amazon or if someone wants to go there's uxtplaybook.com so there's different places that they can reach out but I, we are very excited and interested to work with anyone who has issues with this either they do it with us or not that's a different point but i think the goal is that you know we want to make sure that they don't waste money and time building the wrong software which uh, is unfortunately a lot more common than we think uh, and that's that's what i would say uh, you know the ways to get a hold of us thanks and of course we'll have all the links in the show notes peep so just scroll down or up or across <laughs> find where the show notes are depending on what you're watching this on and uh that was uxt playbook uxd playbook user experience design playbook yeah.com awesome so i have to ask you Jen, at what um point in your life did you know that you were a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur 
I think there are two parts to that. The first part is I treat my journey at UX React as an experiment. Uh, and it was it started out as a one year experiment that I keep renewing every year, uh, <laughs> and uh, and for me I, I think it started out when I had finished ten years in uh, working on in house uh, companies that kind of likes of Citrix or uh, PayPal where I was designed part of the design leadership, uh, but I didn't have much to show after ten years of spending time there in terms of impact to the business. I was doing a lot of design. I was doing a lot of uh, you know get my teams were building great experiences. Uh, but with UI experiences, but were we actually impacting the business in a way that we were multiplying them? Absolutely not. So that was a foundational pain point that I think was uh, hitting me both intellectually and emotionally. Uh, and through that, I said, you know, let's try this out. Let's try an experiment where, you know, and I co-founded the firm with my brother, uh, who also is a user researcher by training. Uh, and uh, we said, let's let's see if we can train our own group of people in our own philosophy. And uh, so that was the first experiment. And we said, uh, this is the way I think you should be doing it. This is, let's go find a group of people and train them in our way. And we took the first cohort, trained them in our way. And uh, eight years from then, we were actually the fastest growing UX firm in America now, three years in a row. So it's it's been fortunate enough that that experiment played out. Uh, and uh, we are here. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. I love it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know how valuable it is. You've been awesome. Any last words for our peeps? Uh, nothing major. I would just say, know your user, follow your user, you'll follow the money. Uh, and uh, it, a lot of times we follow like, you know, competition or we follow the market. Uh, I think right now there's uncertainty in the market. And I would say, while there's uncertainty, there's still 95% of the economy that's still be working. So I think let's not, you know, get our, our energies down. There's a lot to innovate. Technology is the future. Let's do, let's build human systems for people. And, and it's great pace. I think there's a great future for all of us. I love it. And keep in mind, in every problem, there are at least 10 opportunities. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Michelle. Awesome. You've been awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show and join our Facebook group, Business Ownership Secrets to Scaling. We love helping you grow. Thank you for listening to our show. I'm all about being a resource center for entrepreneurs to give them the information and the support that they need to make it in business. As such, the notes for this show can be found at our website at awarenessstrategies.com slash blog. Be sure to subscribe, give us a rating, like five stars personally and share with your friends.